In preparation for Passion Week, we've been looking at the supporting cast behind the drama of the cross. And as it is in any great drama, uh, you need a supporting cast, not only those who are center stage, but you need the supporting cast to help tell the full story. Last week we considered Barabbas, a murderous insurrectionist who was released by Pilate because Jesus took his place on the cross. Now before we get to today's text, I want us to revisit um, Barabbas' story to be able to provide some context for today. Again, Barabbas was a son of a Jewish rabbi who had developed radical religious views about the sacred state of Israel. He had joined the party of the Zealots and he had rose to the top of that terrorist organization leading violent riots against Rome. Barabbas was a hometown hero who had killed during these riots. He was eventually captured, imprisoned, and sitting in a Roman jail cell awaiting his execution by crucifixion. Now the chief priests, desiring to put Jesus to death, brought Jesus to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, early Friday morning, accusing Jesus of being an insurrectionist against Rome. They were basically accusing Jesus for the same crime as Barabbas. The chief priests, they knew that the punishment for insurrection was crucifixion, and they knew that Pilate had already ordered the crucifixion of Barabbas along with his two accomplices that, or later on that morning. They also knew that Pilate had a custom of releasing one prisoner at the feast of the Passover, the Passover pardon as it came to be known. So it was easy for them, basically they were saying to Pilate, Give us our hero, and you take this heretic. Now the problem was, is that Pilate believed Jesus to be innocent of all of these charges. But as the chief priest stirred up the crowd, demanding Barabbas' release, Pilate, well, he became concerned that a riot was going to break out, even right there in front of him, and so he substituted Jesus for Barabbas. So, as Pilate releases Barabbas the guilty and delivers over death Jesus the innocent, as we saw last week, we see the perfect picture of substitutionary atonement. The innocent given himself for the guilty. Today, let's continue the story reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, starting with verse 26. Hear now the word of God. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and he put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, you save others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since we are under the same judgment? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness covered the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Amen. Now, there are so many aspects of this story we could, uh, that could be preached on, but this morning I want us to focus our attention primarily on the criminal on the cross. Now, many times this man is identified as the thief on the cross, but this title is a little misleading. Criminals, uh, excuse me, common everyday thieves were not sentenced to the death penalty. They were just sentenced to serve time in jail. But insurgents, rebels, insurrectionists, terrorists, well, they were sentenced to death by crucifixion. And these two other men, well, they were hardcore criminals just like Barabbas. Now, the Romans used crucifixion for the most serious criminals Because to be crucified, as some have written, is to suffer a thousand deaths in one death. The criminal would have been beaten, whipped, forced to carry his cross across the city, outside of the city, to a hill called Golgotha, the skull. Because the shape of the hill uh, in the silhouette resembled a skull. They would... The victim would lie down with his back on the wooden beam and seven-inch nails would be driven through the wrist bones so to support his body weight. The nail would sever the median nerve, which would not only cause immense pain, but would cause the hands to become paralyzed. The feet were nailed to the cross as well, so that the knees would be bent at about a 45 degree angle. The victim 
nailed to the cross, the soldiers then would lift up the cross into an upright position, and the cross would be dropped into a hole prepared for it, and would cause a jolt upon the victim's body, causing pain throughout. The victim would first use his legs to support his body weight, but then after his legs would give out, the weight would be transferred to his arms and gradually dragging the shoulders from their sockets. The elbows and wrists would follow a few minutes later, causing the arms to become anywhere from six to seven inches longer than before. The victim would immediately have trouble breathing, forcing him to perpetually be gasping for air. Suffocation would usually follow, or death could also occur due to the loss of bodily fluids or multiple organ failure. Often the victim's legs would be broken just to assure the fact that they were dead. To say the least, death by crucifixion was a torturous death. As the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But Christ not only suffered the the physical agony of crucifixion, but he suffered the full weight of our sin, our guilt, and our shame. And he experienced a complete separation from God the Father as he hung there on the cross. Truly, it's, it's true. The one who knew no sin took our sin upon himself. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Amen? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ established peace between God and sinful people through the blood that he shed on the cross. The cross of Christ is the only basis of union between God and sinful humanity. Without the cross, no union. But the scripture tells us that the cross of Christ was divinely planned. The Bible tells us that God in his infinite wisdom had decreed during the second giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy that anyone who hung on the cross is cursed. So if Christ was going to take our curse upon himself, then he must suffer a death of the cursed. We deserve the death of the cross. Therefore, Christ was crucified on the cross. As Dr. John Murray writes, there there were no lower depths possible. 
There were no lower depths possible. Christ went to the extreme level. You see, nothing less could save us. Christ had to be crucified on the cross. The Apostle Paul makes it clear that the cross was divinely appointed in his first sermon on the day of Pentecost when he said, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. See, the cross of Christ, it reveals the, the, the character of God. For in it, we see God's love for sinners. That Christ would go to the lowest depths possible. He would take the curse upon himself. But we also see that God's divine justice is satisfied. Christ willingly obeyed the Father, doing all things to secure our salvation. As the saying goes, what God's justice demanded, his love provided on the cross. Amen? What God's justice demanded, his love provided on the cross. You think of all the symbols that the church could have chosen throughout the ages to be able to be the symbol of the church of Jesus Christ. Could have been the dove. Could have been a heart. It could have just been a sun showing great light. Of all the symbols that the church could have chosen to be the symbol of Christianity, it was the cross, the most torturous death possible. And I think that this is fitting. I, I know that one uh, time Barb and I went on a missions trip to Mexico and the leading pastor there, uh, he, 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 didn't, uh, he didn't like people wearing a cross. He, he says, you just don't understand what the cross represents. Why would you make it in some jewelry or make it a, something that has to do with fashion? But we see that Madonna wears a cross. What? We see it being proclaimed in fashion in an outrageous and way, trying to show some beauty around it. I, I think that maybe we've forgotten what the cross represents. When I was a teenager, I wasn't living for the Lord, and that's an understatement. Um, but I, I had a, a cross hanging from my rearview mirror in my orange gremlin. Yeah, I was a cool kid. And my brother, who was a Christian, was really concerned about my salvation. And I was out detailing my, my car and stuff, and, and he comes up to me and says, Brian, do, do, you, do you know what this means? And he held the, the cross in his hands. And being the sarcastic guy I was, I said, oh, here, 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 you want it? You can have it. But he was really trying to make a point. So 
it's the point that I'm trying to make to you today. Do you, do you know what the cross of Christ really means? In the church today, I think we've lost the message of the cross in many ways. We don't see it in our church buildings, our modern church buildings. It's the lack of preaching on it, I think, is very popular. And that's one of the reasons like I, why I like Passion Week. The Monday Thursday service and the Good Friday service are very sobering. There's no bells or whistles. It's just straight scripture giving us time to think about what really happened on those two days. Because I don't think we look at it often enough. Of course, on Sunday we'll celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and we all love the message of resurrection. Why not? But we have to realize that prior to the resurrection was the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that loves ageless beauty. Have you noticed? We live in a world that fantasizes about a life without scars or wounds. So therefore, the message of the hero of our redemption being tortured, suffering anguish, being crucified on a criminal's cross, well, it's foolishness to them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen? It is interesting to see that the, that the Jews in the first century, the message of the cross was foolishness to them. How could you believe in a Messiah that would suffer a criminal's death? And because of that, they, it was obvious they didn't comprehend the gospel. The gospel is, we worship the Messiah who suffered a criminal's death, and I'm talking about me. We're talking about a Messiah that suffered my death. The fact is, is that sin has scarred each of us. Sin has caused deep wounds in our lives. We are all criminals at the core and we need someone who will bear our iniquity. If someone does not bear our iniquity, we will never be healed of these wounds and these scars. But thanks be to God, Jesus did. The scripture doesn't try to hide the cross. As I mentioned in Peter's first sermon, he's talking about it. In his second sermon, he's talking about it. Throughout the whole of the New Testament, it's talking about it. The Bible tells us that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. By his wounds, we are healed. And that one verse says so much that Jesus himself, the Bible says, Jesus himself not, not, not a, some sort of like ghost of Jesus, not, not some sort of hologram of Jesus. Jesus himself bore our sins. So you and I, our sins, and in the scripture it even makes a, a definite point, uh, in his body. Where? On the cross. Why? So that we would be healed. If Jesus didn't do that, we would never Receive healing. 
by Jesus being nailed to the cross, the Bible tells us that God canceled the certificate of debt and sin that was against us. Jesus paid our penalty on the cross. Now, Matthew and Mark's gospel tells us that the two criminals who had been crucified on both sides of Jesus joined the crowd initially in casting verbal assaults at Jesus. But Luke records that eventually only one of the criminals continued to insult the Lord, saying, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal, Luke records, rebuked the first criminal, saying, Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence. It seems that the other criminal had a change of heart. But what caused this man to lay aside his verbal cruelty and his proud contempt for Christ? What caused this change of heart? It seems that as this criminal hung on the cross suffering the punishment suffering the punishment for his lawless deeds, that the Holy Spirit had captured his heart. The Holy Spirit had convinced him of his sins and had enlightened his mind of the redemption that's found in Jesus Christ. And the reason I can say that is the evidence of the change of his heart is seen not only in his rebuke of his wicked companion but also in the words of his confession. Notice, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here we have the criminal's confession. First, his confession of guilt Second, his, the confession of Christ's innocence. And then lastly, the confession of his desire to enter into Christ's kingdom. And so let's look at these three elements of this criminal's confession. First, the, he confesses his own personal guilt, saying, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserved. Now, back in 2002, someone shared with me four basic elements of true confession. And the first one is, is address everyone involved. And here, in the criminal's confession, we see the word we. You have to realize that these guys were comrades in crime. They had, they had together been insurrectionists. They had revolted against the government. So he addresses everyone involved. He says, we, you and I. And then secondly, avoid if, but, and maybe. Don't make excuses. And notice he says, we are punished justly. It wasn't, well, but, you know, if 
it wasn't Barabbas, we wouldn't be here, or my mama made me do it, or, you know, it wasn't any of that. He avoided casting blame on anyone else. We are justly punished. So first, address everyone involved. Second one, avoid if, but, and maybes. Don't make any excuses. Thirdly, admit specifically both attitudes and actions. Number three, please. And then number four, accept the consequences. And I believe that we see number three and number four in his, in his statement when he says, For we are getting what our deeds deserve. In doing so, he's admitting specific actions and he's accepting the consequences. These are four elements of true biblical confession. And it seems to me that the criminal includes each of these elements in his confession of guilt. In a chapter on confession and communion in his book called Life Together, Derek Bonhoeffer writes, He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. If you keep your sin to yourself and not confess it to God, you're going to stay alone. The Bible says, let us confess our sins to one another. If we don't confess our sins to God, if we don't confess our sins to one another, we see that we are utterly alone. But it seems that God had done a work of grace in this criminal's heart. It's just like the psalmist wrote. If I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all the day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained away as with fever heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sins. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in their time when you may be found. Amen? And this criminal confesses his guilt in the time that the Lord could be found. The Lord changed his eternal destiny from hell to heaven. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and, and righteous to for, for, forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? And this is what happened with this criminal on the cross. This man not only confesses his personal guilt, but he also confesses Christ's innocence when he says, but this man has done nothing wrong. As I shared with you last week, four times Luke records earlier in chapter 23 that Pilate declared Jesus to be innocent. And here we see that Luke continues underscoring Christ's innocence in both the criminal's confession and in the centurion's declaration at the end where he says, surely this was a righteous man. Christ was the innocent one. And this criminal, he knew 
that Barabbas was supposed to be on that center cross. He knew that that was Barabbas's cross, but Jesus took his place. He knew all about Barabbas's guilt as an insurrectionist and a murderer. And he knew that even though Jesus was innocent, he was willingly, he willingly took Barabbas's place. He knew the, that one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone might dare to die. But Jesus was dying in the place of a no good sinner like Barabbas. And this criminal, as he hung on that cross, must have thought, if Jesus was dying for a no-good sinner like Barabbas, maybe he's dying for a no-good sinner like me. He must have thought that Jesus was willingly dying on the cross that God was demonstrating his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? He must have come to the conclusion that Jesus was shedding his innocent blood on the cross and that would save him from the wrath of God that was just about ready to be poured out upon him. The gospel was staring him right in the face as he hung on the cross next to Jesus, as he gazed upon the innocent Savior dying on the cross, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The gospel had taken hold of his heart just in the nick of time. We all would love for our loved ones to come to Christ at an early age and be able to glorify God for the entirety of their lives. But I'm telling you, I don't have anything against deathbed confessions. It's better to do it then than not to do it at all. And that's exactly what's happening to this guy. Isn't it ironic that a person who had spent his whole life revolting against a foreign government, was now asking for entry into a kingdom that was not his own. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. God had truly done a work of transformation in this guy's heart. The one who was an outcast of society, this one was asking to be welcomed into the kingdom of Christ. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I want you to think that Jesus began his earthly ministry preaching the gospel in Galilee, saying this, these words, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And here it is on Jesus' last day on earth as he hangs on the cross securing our redemption. He grants entrance into the kingdom of God to a criminal who had repented and believed in the gospel. How Jesus and the angels must have rejoiced that day. This man 
took the message that Jesus had been preaching his whole life and embraced it for his own. There is no time to get baptized. There is no time to do good works. There is no time to give a gift at the altar. Faith in Christ is all he had, and faith in Christ is all he needed. Amen? Faith in Christ is all he had, and faith in Christ is all he needed. And that's the same for you and for me. This man only had a few more minutes to live, but they must have been the best few minutes of his life. As he suffered the pain of crucifixion, he rejoiced in the salvation that had just been granted to him. As the weight of his body was pulling him downward, he experienced a release from the weight of sin off of his life. As he heard Jesus cry out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he saw Jesus breathe his last breath, he heard the centurion's confession. Certainly this man was innocent. And as the other gospel writers write, the centurion said, truly, this was the Son of God. What joy must have filled his heart. As the soldiers approached the criminal to make sure that he was dead by breaking his legs, he knew that the curse of sin had been broken from his life. He knew that upon his death, his body would be thrown into a smoldering trash heap outside of the city. But his soul would enjoy the paradise of heaven with Christ. Today, you will be with me in paradise. His body would return to the dirt, but his soul would be with Christ in the paradise in heaven. We're not talking about some sort of soul sleep. We're not talking about some a holding tank or facility. We're not talking about some halfway point like purgatory. We're talking about the paradise of heaven immediately. He knew that upon the moment of his death, his soul would be in the presence of the Lord in heaven because the Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. Amen? This criminal, when he breathed his last, was home with the Lord. Can you only imagine what the entrance into the kingdom was when he now saw Jesus Christ, the glorified Lamb, we thank God for the work that he did in this criminal's heart. Closing, Jesus said, I tell you, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And of course, the question is, do you believe this? I think the biblical narrative tells us that the criminal believed this. I believe this, too. Do you? Do you believe that when you breathe your last, 
that you will be in the paradise of heaven with Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? And whoever believes in him will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in Christ, well, actually they never die. Do you believe this? Has the Holy Spirit convinced you that sin has scarred your life? Are you tired of living in guilt and shame? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to embrace the forgiveness offered in Christ? Brothers and sisters, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let us together as the people of God on this Palm Sunday repent and believe in the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today. We glory in the, Christ, the cross of Christ, which we know is a paradox even in itself. The glory in something that was so torturous that you yourself, within the Pentateuch, cursed. But Lord, we know that Jesus had to suffer this crucifixion, the lowest experience of death possible to secure our salvation. And today we glory in the cross of Christ. Lord, help us as your people to follow this criminal's example, not only to confess our guilt, but to confess your innocence, to, to, to join the centurion in saying, this is truly the Son of God. And Lord, work in our hearts today so that we would continually embrace the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in our hearts. And Lord, write upon our hearts the security that we have, that when we breathe our last, that we'll be at home with you in heaven. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.